Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by John Crumpton. For more podcasts, news and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. What I want to speak to you about this morning is about the ascension. Beautiful, beautiful truth. Something that we believe. Something that is important as in, and is included in the apostolic creed. The great statements of faith throughout church history makes reference to the ascension. And there's certain things about the ascension that are so important and impact our lives, it's really good for us to know and have a biblical understanding as to all that was included in the ascension. Why are we focusing on it now? I'm glad you asked. So just over 40 days ago, we celebrated Resurrection Sunday when we remembered that Jesus rose again. The stone that was covering the mouth of the tomb, the stone was rolled away, Jesus arose, and he walked around. Amazing. Astounded the disciples. Flummoxed the, the, the Roman authorities. It was, a, it was, you know, this cataclysmic event that took place. And then 40 days later, there was the ascension, and that would have been Thursday that's just gone past. So I thought, you know what, let's take the opportunity to just have a look at some of the scriptures that give us a fuller picture of what was going on around the time of the ascension. Is that good? Fantastic. That's what we're doing Turn with me to John chapter 20 and verse 17. John chapter 20 and verse 17. Now, this is when it's the morning of the resurrection and Mary has gone there. She's gone to go and put spices on on Jesus' body expecting that he would still be in the tomb only to see that the stone has been rolled away and there's no body in the tomb, just these cloths lying there. Okay? And she talks and she turns, she thinks it's the gardener. How's this? Mary had seen Jesus for a few years. Okay, this is not the mother of Jesus, this is a different Mary. Okay, because if it was the mother of Jesus... She would have been around Jesus for 33 years. She doesn't, Mary doesn't recognize Jesus. His resurrection body is taken on a slightly different form. She mistakes Jesus for the gardener. And she says, are you playing tricks with me? Have you moved the body? Tell me, where is he? And then Jesus calls her name, and she's Rabboni, which means teacher in Aramaic. And then she wants to like grab hold of Jesus. And then in verse 17, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So then Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And then she told them that he had said these things to her. Okay, that's John chapter 20 and verse 17. Now, a couple of things that we know here is that Jesus is saying, listen, I am going to ascend to my father. So I'm not going to hang on. Don't hold on to me now. I've still got, I'm still going to ascend. Now, it actually took place, obviously, 40 days later. But Jesus was already saying, explaining to her, I'm going to ascend to the Father. He's my Father and He's your Father. This is extraordinary stuff. And then He says to Mary, go and tell the disciples. Go and find the eleven and tell them what I'm explaining to you now. So the disciples, the eleven, would have heard through Mary, Jesus emphatically explaining, hey, I'm going to the Father. Now, Jesus had given them several other warnings beforehand, but they didn't comprehend exactly what Jesus meant. He said, listen, I'm going to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Remember that? And they said, but gee, how will we know to get there? He said, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it's kind of like, whoa, we just don't understand. Okay, he said, listen, I'm going and I'm going to prepare in my Father's house. There are going to be many rooms. All right, if it were not so, I wouldn't have told you, but I'm telling you this so that when it happens, you don't get a scrick. Okay? So that you can know that what I'm saying is true, and then I'm going to come back. Mm hmm. And one of these days, we're going to talk more around the end of the age when Jesus returns, his second return. And we're going to see how the many rooms actually come with Jesus. The new Jerusalem, which is 2,200 kilometers wide and 2,200 kilometers long and 2,200 kilometers high. I'm giving it to you in kilometers because you probably don't understand cubits. This is massive. This is a massive city, the new Jerusalem. That's why he's making, preparing all these many rooms. And then the rooms come with him. Hmm. This is astounding what he's doing for us. He's getting things ready. Okay. So let's go to Acts chapter 1. Let's give some more background. I'll come back to the many rooms in the New Jerusalem. I'll come back to it another time. But I can see the cogs are turning. Mm. It's good to think in church. Yep. 
Acts chapter one, verse one. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Okay, who's writing the book of Acts? This would be Luke, the doctor, the physician. Luke was not one of the 12, but Luke was very interested in, in history, in recording accurately what had taken place. Luke accompanied Paul on many of his missionary journeys, so he had, he had um, the accounts of what had taken place during the life of Jesus explained to him again and again. And so he was able to go and research and, and interview the, the other disciples who had been with Jesus. And so he also writes the Gospel of Luke. So now he's saying, listen, in my former book, Theophilus, so he'd in a sense been commissioned. There was this guy, Theophilus, some important dude, um, and he gets the first scroll. Fortunately, the scroll was preserved. We get copies, which then later get handed down, translated, and we get the Bible. Acts is now included. But this is from the Dr. Luke. All right? This is one doctor you can trust. And he says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. I mean, that just smacks me right between the eyes. Because Luke is saying that even what was recorded was just the beginning of what Jesus was doing. What's the implication? Jesus is continuing to work even now. Because he's writing this after the ascension. He's writing this decades later, the book of Acts. The book of Acts spans probably, you know, 30 years, maybe a bit more. This is a long period of time that Luke is, is recording about. And after 30 years, he's saying, listen, I was just writing about what Jesus began to do. So the book of Acts, it's the Acts of the Apostles, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit, it's the Acts of Jesus who's continuing to release the kingdom on the earth in and through his people. Jesus is still working. This is good news. Yeah? He said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He actually meant it. I thought you'd be happier. Okay. Verse 2. Well, let's run into that. I wrote all about Jesus, began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So the day he was taken up to heaven was... Ascension. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, meaning the cross, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about how to be saved. The gospel of salvation. 
No, he spoke about the kingdom. What was the most important thing that Jesus wanted his disciples to know about? The kingdom. Whoa. If it's important to Jesus, it better be important to us. It's about the kingdom, not just about pretty little sermons. It's not just about being saved. It's about the king and his kingdom. And there's a whole other way to live when we keep the kingdom central to our thinking, our understanding, our belief, our actions. Big, big news right here. This is just the opening remarks. This is phenomenal, right? Are you alive today? Are you okay? He's just like, whoa, are you stunned? Are you just talk to me? Amen. amen. Thank you. All right. Yeah, amen. So now on one occasion, verse 4, while he was eating with them, pause. Remember the earlier verse, it says that he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive and that he wasn't a ghost. Yeah? So what was, one of the things he did was he, he ate food. Yeah? Because, you know, you, you try and give a ghost some food it's like, yeah, you are. And we're just going to plop on the floor, right? Because there's no substance to a ghost. In other words, he had a resurrected body that had substance to it and that it could eat. Oh, my goodness. Yay. Ho, ho. Ho, ho. This. Oh, my. This changes everything. Because it would be so sad. Come and think about it. Jesus was the first fruits. Scripture says. Jesus was the first to receive his resurrection body. Yeah? This was like, I was going to say a body to die for. In order for you to get that kind of a body, well, you might have to die. I mean, he could walk through walls. I mean, he must have had heaps of fun. I mean, he'd been with these guys for three, three and a half years. I mean, you know, they're burping and they're, mm, and they're snoring and, you know, all of their whatever stuff. He'd, he'd been roughing it on the road with them for a long time. He's like, I'm going to get these guys back. She's like, the doors are locked, the windows are barricaded, like the guys are like nipping themselves. I nearly used another word. The guys are like on edge. They're kind of like, and then Jesus is just like through the wall. And he says, okay, guys, whoa, 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 okay, don't fear, don't worry, don't worry. But I'm sure for a moment he's got like, yeah, look at these guys. Gotcha. So that body that, okay, that's not in the Bible. I just made that up, okay? It's not in the Bible. I'm not a heretic. Just, ah, oh, goodness. You know, you read the scriptures and you so sanitize what's written there. You don't actually fill it out. Like, what would it have been for these poor guys? So Jesus' body it's like he can walk through the wall. Like, well, there must be a ghost. 
And then he says, no, 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 I'm not a ghost. Hey, you got some fish? Hmm? Apparently Jesus loved fish. Hmm? So he had some fish there. Later on, these guys go fishing. They don't catch anything. So he arranges for a miraculous catch. And even before they can get to the shore, he's already got a fish on the coals. He's having a fish bright. So he likes fish. That we know. So that'll be on the menu. He passed the wine around. He says, guys, I'm going to drink this with you when you come into the kingdom. So we know there's wine on the menu. This is my, and bread. This is going to be some, this is good news for us people. Because if Jesus was the first fruits, he was the first one to receive a resurrection body, meaning we too will get a resurrection body. And if he was able to eat food to prove that he was alive and they had a body, guess what? We also get to eat food. Why is this good news? Well, imagine rocking up at the marriage feast of the Lamb and the table is laden with the, the most amazing food, heavenly food. And then you were just like this spirit thing. <laughs> Waft in, no real body. You can't even eat, you can't taste. And as a feast, say, hey everybody, have some. Because you don't have a body, you can't. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah? This, is a, this, is a, this is a, changes so many things with our thinking about what, what eternity is going to be like in the new... in the new... heaven and earth. The renewed earth with our resurrection bodies we'll be able to enjoy the delights. Yow. Yay. Okay, that's not the main point. You guys are distracting me a lot today. I just wanted you to know that. All right, so he's eating with them. He gives them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So there's a gift coming, all right? John baptized with or in water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with or in Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They thinking a political empire, political kingdom. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Do you see that verse? Do you see that verse? Okay. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. It is not for who? It is not for you to know. To what? To know. It's not for you to know. To know what? The times and the dates. 
It is not for you to know the times and the dates. Would you just believe Jesus and stop trying to figure out the times and the dates? Be a good Christian and do what you are told. It's in red. It's important. It's the words of Jesus. Stop it. Because you'll never know because it's not for you to know. So don't waste your time. But I'll preach on that another time. But you will, verse 8, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, remember Philip, and all the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Look, they hadn't seen Star Trek. They're kind of like, what on earth is going on here? Yeah? It's like, yo, we've seen him do some unusual things. Walk on water, walk through walls, multiply fish, bread, turn water into wine, do all these crazy things, still the storm, but this, yeah? They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. It was a Sabbath day's walk, which is about a kilometer from the city. So they're on the Mount of Olives. They're there with Jesus. Elsewhere in Corinthians, it says there were 500 people were gathered when Jesus ascended. So there was a lot of people saw Jesus go up. Okay? And they're kind of like, Staring, mouths wide open, eyes like saucers, like what are we seeing? You know, and then next thing, a cloud hides Jesus from their sight, and then he's, he's, he's not there anymore. And the angels come and they say, Okay, chaps, you remember what Jesus said? Now get on and with, go and do it. Because you can't just stand here waiting. He will come back. In the same way that he went up, clouds, he will come back again. So that's the promise. It's going to happen. But there's a lot that needs to transpire before that occurs. So just get on and go and do the stuff. Hmm? So let's pull a couple more scriptures together just to build the picture. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 50. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, so the Mount of Olives is the way to, on the way to Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. How's this? Jesus was not angry with them. Jesus was not rebuking them or anything. He loved them and he blessed them. 
He was blessing them. You know what? He is blessing us. He blessed them. While he was blessing them, verse 51, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Great joy. The prophetic painting this morning is called Joy Comes in the Morning. Isn't that beautiful? And Moses was speaking about joy as well. Joy in the, in the fullness, this fullness of joy in his presence. And, and so this is about the morning light just shining through the branches and the leaves and, and all the, the flowers and shrubs and just how it creates these beautiful patterns on the ground and this, this thing of, of vibrancy and of life and of joy. So Trish did that for us this morning. Joy comes in the morning. Yeah. And so the, they were filled with great joy because they had truth they had understanding, they had teaching, they had revelation. Okay. Mark chapter 16, verse 19. After Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So again, we've got this thing of Jesus speaking to his followers. This is now in Mark's gospel. And of course, Mark, again, like Luke, was not an apostle. This is John Mark. Yeah, remember Barnabas and Paul had a, had a fight over this guy, John Mark? Because he had a bit of a wobble. He was missing home. He was homesick. And, and Paul said, no, 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 we can't take this guy. He's going to bail out halfway through. Barnabas said, no, he's valuable. So Barnabas and Paul split ways. Paul and Silas, they go off and do their stuff. And Barney takes John Mark. Later on, Paul says, hey, send Mark to me. He's valuable to me. Relationship was restored. But John Mark is the Mark who writes the Bible. He probably was the guy, it was probably his mom's joint, you know the upper room for the Last Supper? It was probably his mom's joint, his house. Remember the guy in the garden that was following the disciples when Jesus got arrested and they tried to grab one oak and the, all they got was his cloak and the guy ran away naked? It's probably John Mark. Hmm. So John Mark, he writes Mark's gospel. And he's also putting together all the accounts. But this Mark is an action guy. And suddenly and immediately and then and immediately and suddenly throughout. It's a quick, fast-paced page turner. That's how he write, writes Mark's gospel. So he said, after Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. So we're getting some insight What's Jesus doing? Where did he go? Well, he went to the right hand of the Father and he sat. Yeah? We know that Jesus gets up every now and then. Like he stood up to look at, St at the stoning of Stephen. Yeah? But otherwise, he's at the right hand of God, the place of ruling, reigning. All right. 
How about, uh, let's, let's jump to Hebrews chapter four and verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So, Jesus went as our high priest, our great high priest, and he went into heaven or through the heavens, and he's there at the right hand of the Father, and because Jesus is the Son of God, because he's there, we have got something to hold on to in terms of our faith. So in this chapter in Hebrews, he's comparing the priests in the earthly temple who continually had to keep coming back and offering sacrifices. But Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, was a once and for all sacrifice. And this great high priest, having brought and poured out his own blood on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, that offering and that sacrifice was accepted acceptable in the sight of God. Not only that, but we know that when, when Jesus cried out, it is finished on the cross, the curtain in the temple that separated the holy from the most holy place where God's presence dwelt, that curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Not from the bottom to the top. And this was maybe equivalent of three stories high. This is a very work curtain and very thick. It's maybe two to three feet thick, this curtain. They actually needed like oxen to pull the curtain open if they ever did. Yeah? So this was not something of human origin to turn, to tear, to tear the curtain, not from the bottom, no, no, from the top. God did it. He said, that which separates me from you. Remember, he came to restore what was lost in the garden. Presence of God. He said, listen, let's remove this veil, this curtain, this barrier. So then Hebrews goes on and says, now we have free access to come before the throne of grace in our time of need. Because Jesus is there. And he is now a new and a living way. Through his body, that curtain has been made, made open. Oh, powerful stuff, yes? In Acts chapter 2, let's bounce back there. Acts chapter 2 and verse um, 31. And now Peter is explaining on the day of Pentecost, he's giving them a message about what was going on and he's talking about the context of David and what David had done and the prophetic words that he had recorded. Verse 31 of Acts 2, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So on the day of Pentecost, 
Jesus has received the promise. Remember, Jesus said, listen, I'm going to get the promise from the Father. So now, Peter is busy explaining to the people, now this is actually what's happened. He did receive the promise, the gift from the Father that was promised and now been poured out on you. Why could he do it? Because he ascended into heaven. Hallelujah. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Huh? Where's Jesus? The right hand of the Father. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. But Peter, referring to the prophetic words written by David, gives us a clue as to the until. Until what? Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. In Hebrews 10, let's go back there, verse 12. But when this priest had offered a one-time, sorry, an all-time one sacrifice. Let me start again. I'm trying to read too quickly. Apologies. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. So he's both making and he's waiting for his enemy to be made his footstool. We know from Romans, chapter 16, that Satan will soon be crushed under our feet. So we, as the body of Christ, are working out living out and enforcing the victory of the cross until all his enemies have been under his feet, made his footstool. That's the until part. So, how much enemy activity can you see happening on the world, in the world around us? A lot. What does that mean? We have a job to do. The until is still happening. You want Jesus to come back? Hallelujah. Then get busy with the until part so that he can come back. He can't come back until the until part has been fulfilled. Does this make sense? He's not coming back next week. Why? Well, for two reasons. One, the bride of Christ is still running around in nappies, soiling herself. She's not this glorious bride, triumphant, radiant, spotless, without blemish or stain. She's not that yet. She's got some growing up to do. And the other thing is, not all of his enemies have been made a footstool. I know that's sad news, isn't it? Well, the good news is we can get on and get busy with what he asked us to do so that we can speed, hasten the day of his coming. Okay. 
Jump to Romans 8 and verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's interceding for us. So then who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, COVID, dangers, sword, lockdowns, recession? No, no, no. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. Hallelujah. No, nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Okay? So, while we are convinced that we're more than conquerors, while we're facing all these things, we know that nothing will separate us from His love. And right now, while He's waiting for all His enemies to become a footstool, He's working. And what's the main focus of his work? He's interceding. Verse 34. He's interceding. He's praying that we will succeed. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you. Even to the end of the age. And God's prayers get answered. You want somebody to pray for you? You want Jesus to pray for you. Yeah. And Jesus only prays God kind of prayers. God kind of prayers get answered. This is astounding. All of this associated, connected to the ascension. Oh, this is a glorious truth. We can rest in this truth. We hold on with great certainty we, to, to the faith that we profess because we know he is able. Mm. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Would you stand? The way he went is the way he's coming back. Yeah? He went on the clouds. Daniel, he refers to this. And he says, look, there's one like the son of man. He's coming on the clouds. This is Daniel chapter 7. And about verse 13, 14, he says, and then he comes into the ancient of days. And he's received before the throne and then he's given authority and power. That coming with the clouds is the ascension and coming. His life and his sacrifice accepted and acceptable in the courts of heaven. That coming with the clouds is coming into the presence of the ancient of days. He's there with authority and with power, sitting at the right hand of the Father. That makes his prayers and intercession even that much more powerful. Oh, yay. No wonder the early church fathers kept this into the creed 
that we might believe and hold on to this truth that we might never forget that the best is yet to come. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you take these deep truths from the word and burn them into our hearts that we would have such strength and courage a faith that is strengthened because of the truth of your word that that ascension opened up the way for you to sit at the right hand of the father and to intercede for us your beloved. So strengthen our hearts today. Cause us, Lord, to rise with a greater courage and boldness to do your work here on earth until earth looks like heaven. So Lord, let your peace be upon us. Let your healing your enabling, your strengthening be our portion. Thank you, Jehovah Jireh, you are our provider. And thank you for love and joy that cocoons us and overshadows us and overflows from us, through us, to everybody we come into contact this week. May your name be magnified. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Yay. We're going to leave it there. All right. If you need prayer, come tonight or go to the throne. For those watching online, God bless you. Thank you so much. Have an awesome week. Till next time.